Christ and his birth. So, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. And I pray you open us up to the truth of your son Jesus. That he was changing lives even before he could maybe even speak. That he was impacting leaders and wise people around the world as a baby. That there is something pretty dramatic that happens when we encounter you, Lord. And we aren't left the same afterwards. So I pray that we would all know that. That when we encounter you, we're changed forever. And because of that, we love you. Amen. Uh, We'll start in verse... One. So this is after we've talked about the genealogy of Jesus, and we've talked about the birth of Christ. Um, we've talked about Joseph. We've talked a little bit about Mary. We'll talk more about her on Christmas Eve. Um, but then we also see these wise men come in. And we know a lot of things to be true and not so true about them. Um, they've almost become an urban legend or a biblical legend over the last several um, centuries, almost to the point of, uh, anyway, we'll just read No more commentary. Verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for, it is, for so it is written by the prophet, prophet Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rule, rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the same, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. That was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. So we have a lot going on in this piece of scripture. First, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So there's these wise men. Now we often, even over the history of the, of the church, they even got names. Um, but we don't see those names in scripture. Um, what we know is that they were some wise men. We kind of label that there's three because there's three gifts. We have no idea how many wise men there were. It doesn't tell us. It says wise men came. And they came from the Orient. 
We don't necessarily know exactly where that is. We know there was a strong Jewish enclave in Babylon from the Exodus. We, not from Exodus, but from when they were removed from Jerusalem and they're from Israel and they were pushed into Babylon. We know that, that was, there was a strong Jewish enclave. So there could have been wise men who learned of the Jewish teachings of the Messiah from Babylon. But they could be all the way as far as the depths of the Orient, from probably some part of Arabia, all the way to Persia. We don't really know um, exactly where they came from. All we know is that these wise men um, were either kind of magician, astrologer, scholar, scientist, minor league theologian interested men. That they made their life, at least they were excited about, things of the stars and things of eternity and things of destiny. Um, Today, in church talk, we might call them seekers. Or they had a really good religious temperature. They were looking for answers. Answers to big questions of the universe. Who's the king? Who's the one who's going to reign and rule? What is eternity? Is there really more to this life after we die? Is this all I'm here for? Those kinds of people. But they were like grade A seekers for truth. So they see something in the stars. And again, we don't know if it was literally seeing them or if they saw that it was, saw something in the stars or if it was something that was written. They heard about it. Some people traveling said, hey, there was this bright star. There have been astrologers and theologians have tried to connect the star of Bethlehem to all these events in a hundred ways and they're way smarter than me. There's theories of supernovas and the alignments of Jupiter and Saturn and just a great, bright, shining star. But we do know, pretty certain, because of what we see in the text, is that this is several months after the birth of Christ. That there was probably no wise men that showed up the day after, traveling from Persia or Babylon, the day after his birth, and said, hey, we're here. We see that in Herod killing all the children in Bethlehem two years and younger. So this, there's been some time has passed. Jesus probably was crawling, maybe even walking a little bit, by the time the wise men come to see him. Because of the distance from point A to point B. I mean, they didn't even have cars. So you, I mean, you couldn't make the distance from Babylon or modern-day Iraq to Bethlehem. You couldn't make that in a car in a day. Maybe an airplane. They had camels, we think. I don't even know if that part's... They, they rode something, right? Or they walked. The point, what Matthew's trying to drive to us, is that God, through a sign in the stars, and through some people seeking truth, communicated through all of this to some people outside of the truth of Jewishness and outside the truth of the gospel to come seek this king. He's trying to paint a picture when we see it in Matthew from chapter 1 into chapter 2, that you have this really crooked family tree, right? Pretty crazy family tree. Joseph should have cast aside this woman who was pregnant and not married. So he's, he's breaking all of the traditions. He's blowing up all of the Jewish traditions and held by a tight fist beliefs of these people. And now... He's reaching out saying some people from the Orient who don't know anything of God, were not Jewish at all, are going to come seek this guy and be at his feet and worshiping the king. The Herod, who's living amongst the Jews, is going to miss it. Who's reigning and ruling over the Jews, but yet here's these guys from the Orient. God's specifically telling us who he is. 
Where is he who has been born in the king of the Jews? For we saw it in a star. So they show up in Jerusalem saying, we're looking for the king of the Jews. How do you think Herod's going to respond to that? Who's currently the king reigning over the Jews? Not very well. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. That's a key phrase. All of Jerusalem with him. This isn't that Jerusalem's afraid that there's a Messiah. This is all of Jerusalem afraid that the paranoid King Herod is now shaken to his core. He killed his own two children because he was afraid they were going to take his throne away from him. He killed his own wife because he thought she was a spy. It was known throughout the land that this King Herod was extremely paranoid about his power and he would push and shove anyone out of the way that might be a threat to him. So you have these guys coming from a foreign land who show up and say, um, we're here seeking the king of the Jews. We've heard he's been born. And here's Herod sitting on his throne going, uh, I'm right here. I am not an infant. So clearly you're thinking of someone else. And this someone else is probably going to try to take over my reign and my rule. So he says, he inquires of the priests and the scribes. He goes to the religious leaders. Hey, who would this be? Who could this maybe be? Who do you think the king, where's this new king of the Jews? Where's this Messiah figure going to come from? Well, he'll be born in Bethlehem. That's where he'll, be, he'll come from. He'll come from Bethlehem. And so he tells them, hey, uh, go find him for me. Why don't you go find him? Hey, wise men, go out and find him for me because we know that he's going to be the Messiah and then I want to go worship him too. Of course he didn't want that. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. Why would you do that in secret? Like all these keys, like you just read slow and careful. Why did you have him come secretly? Because he's going to send them to be his spies to find who this person is. Because if he really is the king of the Jews, then the Jewish people, the scribes, the leaders, the priests, aren't going to allow this. So you go find him for me and report back to me. Because I want to worship him. Go, search diligently for the child. When you found him, bring me the word that I may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now this isn't like a spotlight. You understand that, right? This isn't like there was this glowing spotlight that's just shining down. But we do see some astrological things happening. Some things in, in, in the world of stars and the planets aligning. And So if this is happening over a couple of years, this is clearly a sign. We, we get all wrapped up in that. When I was trying to find an astrological theory, there's at least four to five theories that all made sense to me. They all made perfect sense. Well, it's this star, it's aligning the planets, there was a supernova, so God made another super... It all makes perfect sense. But they all sound so great that I have to go, I don't... What's, I, I'm just a simple guy that goes, well, what's the point? The point is that God really wanted these men to show up near Jesus. So if it was two months, three months, six months, two years... An astrological event happened, and then God created that same or a very similar astrological event that led them to Bethlehem. Now they have the information. They're walking towards Bethlehem. It was a confirmation. Hey, the planets aligned again. Another supernova. Another great star. Another time when the planet's close, like the giant supermoon that happened. Which, did you see that? That was a funny thing, wasn't it? The moon was, like, if it's six inches in the sky, the supermoon, it was six inches and a quarter. Oh, that's super. 
it's the closest it's going to be. I was just like, that, that's not really, but anyway, okay. Um, after listening to the king, they went on their way. So they listened, they know what's at stake, and they know this paranoid, crazy king. Met them in secret, right? Go find him. Go find him for me. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's confirmation. They going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now, where was Jesus born? A stable. Um, some say it's a cave stable. Some say the stable is actually, there's no room in the inn that he was in the manger in the floor because ground floors of Jewish homes was where the animals were. During wintertime, you would bring them in, and, or they would, the, the body heat from animals would rise up and heat the rest of the house. So it might not have necessarily been like, get out in the shed, but it could have been you're, he was definitely sleeping with animals. Scripture kind of testifies to that. So, but is that what this says? Wouldn't it have said in the stable? Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. Now, some people would, would quote the worship part as they paid honor. They respected. But we'll see here in a minute, I think it was genuine worship. Fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, this is typically where we break apart like what the, the gifts were. right? We know that gold is royalty, incense is a sign of divinity, and myrrh is a burial spice. And you have to, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard some allusions or sermons like this is foreshadowing that Christ is royal, um, that the incense, the frankincense, the incense um, shows about his divinity, and the myrrh was a burial spice, which is foreshadowing of the cross, right? That's a pretty common, and I don't think that's a wrong thing. I think that is foreshadowing. But I was talking to, I had breakfast with um, Chuck Bauer this week, and he just asked me this simple question. He goes, hey, um, they took off running after this, right? Like, we'll get there in a minute, but Joseph and Mary and Jesus take off running. How do you think a carpenter can pay for a several-year excursion into a foreign country? Just a simple question. Like, how do you pay for that? How does a carpenter who probably doesn't have a whole too many pennies to rub together, he's got a baby and a new wife, how's he going to pay for a fleeing to Egypt and living for what we think is about two years in Egypt to set up shop to get a job? How's he going to pay for that journey? Probably with some gold and some frankincense and some myrrh. Now, I, and I was, I was blown away. I was like, I never thought of that, Chuck. Like, thank you for that insight. I never thought of it that way. But what a brilliant thing that God did. Here's Joseph, a simple guy, in his home with his bride and his new baby boy. That's his half-son, and he's still dealing with all of this, trying to figure this out. Hard-working carpenter guy. Blue collar, and he's supposed to flee and take off and run. God tells him, someone's going to come after your kid, you need, to, you need to flee. We know that Alexandria in Egypt, was a, there was an enclave of Jews that lived there that didn't like the rule of Herod, so they left and ran to Egypt. So he went back to live with some other Jewish people. How do you pay for that? How do you pay for a journey like that? If someone came to you in the middle of the night in a dream and said, our vision came to you in the middle of the night, so you need to run, and you got up the next day, how fast could you go? How far could you go before you ran out of cash? <laughs> where, where are you gonna, what are you going to do, right? And so we see this, that even in his sovereignty, God set up a way to pay for the journey with the wise men bringing gifts. Pretty powerful. 
Now, here's why I think that this wasn't just paying honor. If Herod's a paranoid, delusional maniac, and he told them to do X, Y, and Z, why wouldn't they go back to Herod and tell him exactly where this baby boy was? He told them in a dream. Who told them? God. Have you heard too often in the scriptures where God's giving people visions and it doesn't mean something way powerful? When it's bad dreams, crazy dreams, it always has a purpose, doesn't it? And we see people changed by that, don't we? Whether it's Nebuchadnezzar or a vision that John's given that we know is the book of Revelation. Like how often do we see when there's a vision given, it's directly given by God and they're changed. They're, they're, they seek after him. What does this mean? What's going on? Who is this? Right? Over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, we see that happen. So here's some men who show up seeking answers to things of divinity, things of eternity, things of astrological importance. And they fall at the feet of this little boy and they worship him. And they give gifts, which is then the money that's going to fund their escape. And then they have a vision. Now I know we don't see it directly in scripture, but I would have a hard time saying that these men weren't changed by the truth of who Jesus was. That there's something happened of faith, something of power, some kind of encounter they had with this baby boy. Whether he was six months old or almost two, they had an encounter with him. And we see that when Jesus is 11, later on in the Gospels, he's in the temple and he's confounding all of the priests and the scribes. That this little boy had powerful impact from a very early age. Now I can't beyond a shadow of a doubt say that they became believers in Christ, heard the gospel, and were saved. I can't really make that conclusion, but there was definitely an encounter with the divinity of Christ because they didn't do what they were told. They risked their own lives. Herod would kill his own children for his own gain. You don't think he would wipe these men out in a heartbeat? Of course he would. Of course he would. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children of Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So again, we see that he's ascertaining from the wise men when they saw this star, when this was, the scribes, the priests, so he's going to take out any young man two years old and under. Now we think because of the size of what Bethlehem was at this time, that's about 30 young men were killed. He was willing to wipe out 30 kids to take out the one that was said to be the king. I don't think we'd call Herod a nice man, would we? Now here's what we all do. We look at Herod and we go, evil, the worst. How dare he? What's he doing? He's scared. He's full of pride. He's paranoid. But isn't the core of his issue... He's refusing to submit to authority other than his own. Like it's kind of a hard pill to swallow, but don't we have a little bit of Herod in all of us? Maybe not to the point of infanticide, but don't we want to reject anything that's coming from wise teachers, wise 
priests, wise people, people from outside your comfort zone, coming to speak wisdom and truth. And don't we want to reject all of that and say, that's not how I think. Tim Keller wrote it this way. i got to get there, sorry. Wrong side. When asked where evil comes from, controversy erupts. This might sound familiar over the last several months we've endured in the United States. At one end of the spectrum, there are those that say the rich and powerful are the ones to blame. This view of thing tends to make the poor and minorities the heroes of the world's story. Oh, I'm sorry. I messed up. When asked what, where evil comes from, controversy erupts. At one end of the spectrum, there are those that say the rich and powerful are the ones to blame. This view of things tends to make the poor and minorities the heroes of the world's story. At the other end of the spectrum are those who insist that immoral and irresponsible people are the main problem. This tends to make hardworking, decent, middle-class people the heroes of the story, and both the shiftless poor and the immoral elites the villains. Isn't that kind of how we live? Either it's the elites, the ones that are always trying to control and twist, and we need to crush them and move them away and shove them out of the path, and you know they're just trying to capitalize on the poor, and right there, then the, the elites become the wealthy, become the villains, and the, the poor become the victims. Then you have the other end of the spectrum, which is like hard-working, middle-class people can't stand both. Well, the rich and elites keep me down, and the poor just need to get off their butts and get a job, right? Isn't that, doesn't that sound pretty familiar in modern-day 200 years of American politics? Maybe just the last 60. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Well, think about if we adjust that to our faith. Isn't that what we think about our faith? Well, I'm not as bad as this person. This person here has all these problems. This person here has all this sin, and this person's been to jail, this person's done all these things. I'm not like that person. I'm, I'm pretty clean. I'm pretty good. And how about the people that are way up on top, or maybe way down on the bottom of a socioeconomic scale? Those rich people keep me down, but I'm, I've got Jesus, and I don't need wealth and money, and I'm better than them, and I'll get my reward in heaven. You hear all that kind of preaching all over the place to a specific audience to make elites who've never done anything wrong feel great about themselves. I grew up in church. I never said a bad word. I never touched the sin juice to my lips. I've just been perfect, and they have just as wicked hearts as anyone else. The truth of the Bible from beginning to end is that we're all little Herods. We want it our way. We're willing to kill, steal, destroy, tear down, gossip, push people away, shove people down to get our way, aren't we? So when we read about Herod, yes, we should be appalled. Look at the evil he's done. But don't take that too far. Because aren't we all the same way? Won't we lie to get what we want? When we twist the word of God just a little bit to fit our agenda or what we want, we're the same. We can see a little bit of Herod in all of us. So he goes out to take out everybody just to protect himself, protect his rule. I'm in charge, I'm the king, I'm in command, and I don't want anyone to shake me or show me something different. But when Herod died, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. So first, I just kind of passed over it. They run. I skipped. Did I skip a verse? 
There's like a section missing. That's bad typographical errors by me. We can't miss that. I must have deleted a slide. Sorry. The flight, verse 13. I skipped one. Now when they had departed, after the wise men left, behold, angel Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I call my son. So again, all this stuff is continually backing up prophecy. It's fulfilling all the promises that God has made. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. So we're getting this picture. He goes to Egypt. As a better Moses, he returns. The exodus from Egypt all the way through, where Moses is supposed to be the one leading them out, you have the perfect baby boy coming from Egypt back into the land of Israel, to the promised land. You've got the perfect child going from one point of historic significance for the Jewish faith, walking in perfection with his parents, back to Jerusalem. We think this is about a two-year gap. So by this time, Jesus would have been between two and four years old, minimum. He comes back to Jerusalem to fulfill the prophecy. But then he also fulfills another prophecy. But when he heard that um, Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Which you remember when he calls one of the disciples? I'm going to get it wrong. I don't know if it was Philip or Andrew. I think it was Philip. But I'm probably wrong. And they said, oh, the Nazarene. And he says, does anything good come from Nazareth? Right? That's his response to this Nazarene being the Messiah. Does anything good come from Nazareth? So you're seeing this consistency in the story of God. That he uses the marginal to point himself as the king. He uses all the marginal people. He uses all the places you would never... This is like, in, Back in Vincent's, Indiana, there was the north side of town. The north side is, was lower in socioeconomic and, um, benefit and was known as kind of where the rougher part of town was. There were, no, there were lots of railroad tracks, but every place in Vincennes is the wrong side of the track. So there's kind of, I lived on the south side, which was also considered. Then you had the Heights, and you had the Fox, Fox Ridge Edition, which is by a golf course. You had these areas of town, which is where all the moneyed people you could divide up, and you would, where do you live? I live over here. Oh, that's where you live, huh? Right? I know that doesn't happen in Laramie. Nobody would do that about neighborhoods here because that's just wicked and twisted. Nobody would do that. But by saying he's a Nazarene, that's like saying, oh, he's like in a fishing village, a carpenter guy. Like this isn't the elites. This isn't the upper class. This isn't the, right? Isn't that what we expect today? Well, where'd you get your education from? Where, what's your pedigree look like? What's your family history like? Who was your great-great-grandfather? Have you earned your money the old-fashioned way? You've inherited it, right? How's that happen? That's the kind of picture we're seeing, is that God, on purpose, 
has chosen the small to prove that he is the king. Now that's not saying that you can't have wealth and God doesn't use wealthy people. Because we see the same stories even today, don't we? Someone of great wealth says, you know, um, I'm going to give away all of my income and I'm going to live off of 20%. You know, I'm going to support this missionary all on my own. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to fund this. I'm going to do these things. So I don't want you to look at the scriptures and think that only you know, blue-collar people are loved by Jesus. Because that's not true. We see throughout the rest of scripture some very wealthy people take care of Jesus, don't we? We see Paul taken care of in the book of Philippians by some very, very, very wealthy people. But the point is, when Jesus captures your heart, everything changes. Everything changes. So we get this great story of these wise men who've come... There's been a crazy, like, this could be a movie, just this section. There's a king out there. We've got to find him. Where's he at? I don't know. Let's find him. There's a crazy king who wants to kill the, the new king. It, it, this could be a Hollywood movie. Oh, maybe it has been once or twice. Think of all that God has done to make sure that his son Jesus would be known by us. And I think the significance of the story is that every time we seek wisdom, we should expect an encounter with him. For all of us doubters in the room, which has been a long part of my story of faith, I'd never take things at face value. I'm better now. I'm a recovering skeptic, but I still have lapses. You can seek wisdom all you want. Well, I need to find out exactly the star and the date, and I got to find it. Who are those people? And I got to. You can do all of that journey. It's that's a terrific journey. I encourage that. If you've got something that's got, we used to call them um, earworms. I don't know if they, you call those or not. Something that kind of gets in your brain and you can't really shake it. You're like, I just want to. What's there's something about that. I got to dig into it. I got to find the book. I got to listen to the sermon. I got to figure it out. I don't know. I don't believe Mike. I think he's an idiot. I got to find it on my own, right? That's a great journey to go on. But you should expect an encounter with a king in the midst of it. And that's been my story most of my life. Something drives me nuts intellectually. I've got to go after it. And at the end of the day, I usually go, well, I think I found a solution, but I don't really care because Jesus has got it. Like, thanks for giving the answer, God. I appreciate it, but now I don't care as much anymore. I used to have a running list. It was a literal list of things I wanted to ask God when I got to heaven. Why'd you do that? Why, what does that mean? Why would you do it that way? That's not how I would do it. Right? I had, it was myself and another college student that was in our ministry. We had a running list. We would joke, let's add that to the list. And we kind of did, and it was bad. And at the end of the day, we just kind of went, it doesn't matter. He and I both kind of came to the same conclusion. And so we see these wise men coming out of the Orient. Men seeking truth, seeking answers. And at the end of the day, they encountered the living Christ. They encountered the Messiah. They fell at his feet in worship and they left. They didn't obey King Herod. They went a different way and they were changed. They were changed forever by that. By that moment with the king. Have you been changed by that moment with the king? It could have happened in your home while you're doing something around the house. It could have happened in a church service. It could have happened while you're talking to a friend over coffee. Have you been transformed by the truth of Jesus? Because once he gets a hold of you, he won't let go of you, and you can't let go of him. You might dislike him for a while. You might not like some of what his word says. 
You might push him away for a while, but he's never going to give up on you. If he can use some wise men who are just seeking some star knowledge, he can use you and he can use me to have great impacts on the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. And thank you for the story of these wise men, these guys from the Orient, who were seeking truth and seeking answers, and they found you instead. They had put all of their knowledge together of the stars and of the Torah and of the knowledge of the neighborhoods that they were living in, and they sought an adventure to find you, Lord. And they did. And they were forever changed. So I pray, Lord, we would be on that same journey. If we have not found you, then I pray we would keep seeking. And if we've been walking with you for a while, then I pray that we would um, reflect back on that moment when you grabbed our hearts, you called us your children, and you sent us out on mission. That you sent us out to share that truth with all who would listen. There are so many people that are seeking answers in a hundred different directions. And you've given us those answers in your son Jesus. So help us to be humble. Help us to be kind. And help us to be filled with the truth. We love you. Amen. During this...